Crude oil is crude. Natural gas is pure. That's why Pennzoil's base oil is made from natural gas, not crude. It gives you unbeatable engine protection. The proof is in the Pennzoil. Based on sequence 4A wear test using SAE 5W30. Pardon the interruption, but I'm Mike Wilbon. It's National Philanthropy Day. And here's our gift to you. You're welcome, America. There they go. (laughs) I'm back, baby. What do you mean? You bring your own little chorus now? And I got the glasses, the whole thing. The FBI glasses. You look like you could be on some corner on K Street and around 16th. Just the facts, Mike. Just the facts. Just the facts. Okay. Welcome to PTI. Kornheiser almost went the distance, but Mm. coming out of the pen to save him today is our great friend from The Athletic, Mr. Frank Lysolo. Unbelievable. The love. (laughs) Probably because you guys are gone. That's why. (laughs) We begin where everybody in America is today with Miles Garrett's suspension for clocking Mason Rudolph with the quarterback's own helmet and the controversy that act ignited. The NFL has suspended Garrett for the rest of this season and perhaps beyond for what happened at the end of Steelers-Browns last night. Marquise Pouncey was suspended three games for going to his quarterback's defense, and Browns defensive tackle Larry Ogunjobi was given a game for his part. Curiously, Rudolph wasn't given anything, even though he was the original instigator. Frank, does all that feel right to you? You know what? I don't have a problem with what the NFL did. You want to give Mason Rudolph a fine, that's that's okay. You call him the instigator. I think everything was all right, even to the point where Miles Garrett took Rudolph by the face mask and lifted him up. Once he took the helmet off, if everything had stopped, everything would have been fine. You cannot be using the helmet like that. That's a helmet-to-head violent act. And it's going to cost Miles Garrett. Who knows? It could cost him into next season. But I think the NFL, in this case, did the right thing because that was an ugly way to end a nationally televised game. I'm going to take the small part first, and I'll work back. Not not giving Rudolph a game? What are they doing? The NFL's always tone deaf and incapable, it seems, of getting everything right. They just can't do it. I mean, it's, you wonder sometimes if they just say, let's just mess with everybody and do something stupid. And in this case, a minute suspension to Rudolph, who one game, he, he tried to pull a guy's head off, their helmet off. There's a rule against that. At the that. bottom of the pile, though. He's I, at the bottom matter. of the pile. It doesn't matter. It was just the two of them. It was just the two of them at the time. It's stupid. Now, and, 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 and by the way, it opens the door to all kinds of questions that we're going to get to, pro- I promise you, down the road. Maybe even, you know, in another at the end of the weekend. But the big picture, Miles Garrett had to go. This is an easy suspension, a hard thing to see, but an easy suspension. They said indefinite. I guess they're going to try to say we want to give him some chance to, before we put him back out there yeah. to convince us he's worthy of it. I was struck, Frank, last night by the unanimity of players and former players around the NFL, starting with the first person I saw, Keyshawn Johnson, on our airways, I guess on SportsCenter, who said, no, 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 he's got to go away for a long time. There wasn't anybody making an excuse or having Miles Garrett's back. That struck me, and it made it easier for the NFL to act decisively. There are violent acts all the time in football. This one crossed the line. But remember this, too, about Miles Garrett. Already this season, fined $52,000 for punching one player. The two late hits on Trevor Simeon yeah. of the Jets, one of them cost him his season. So, you know, he's been a repeat offender, Michael. That, that, that factors into it as well, don't you think? Yeah, uh, Frank, 
People say, oh, he's never been involved in anything. Yeah. And, you know, that's not exactly. And people need to also stop saying there's never been anything like this in NFL history. Stop. Yeah, you're right about that. Because all you got to do is go back to the 30s and 40s when there were unbelievably violent acts. I guess the helmet might have been leather yeah. and not whatever <laughs> it is at the time. But there were unbelievably violent acts in the NFL. So let's let's stop with that. Garrett, what Garrett did stands on its own yeah, under the category of stupid. All right, Michael, lost in all the Miles Garrett madness was the Cleveland Browns accomplishing something they've done just three times over the previous four seasons. They won consecutive games. How about that? Cleveland is now four and six and very much alive for a playoff berth. But Baker Mayfield admitted that Thursday's win over division rival, quote, feels like we lost. Michael, what does this result do for the Browns and the Steelers? It didn't do anything for the Browns. I mean, let's stop with the Browns. You yeah. know, once every 15 years or so, somebody runs the table. It's as dumb as the assertion every week in college football. But if they all run the table, I mean, stop. The <laughs> Cleveland Browns aren't any good. The Pittsburgh Steelers weren't any good for several weeks. The Browns sort of did lift themselves up until that last episode, and they got a win at home over a yes. rival they ought to beat. They were 0-7-1. Their jobs were on the line. Yep. Every time they lose to the Steelers in this context, their coach gets fired in Cleveland, so they needed to win the game. Does it mean they're going to suddenly turn their season around and start beating everybody? Hell no. And remember, it's a costly loss for Pittsburgh. Juju Smith-Schuster, yeah. concussion, James Conner, both those players got hurt in the game. Pittsburgh's 5-5. Five and five. They got the Bengals and the Browns coming up, so they're still very much alive. What kills me about the Browns is that here's a season where they should be better than Pittsburgh. How is Pittsburgh ahead of them after everything that Pittsburgh has lost, including well, their starting quarterback? And coaching would be part and of the that's answer. that's the point. They lead the NFL in penalties. They got 50 more penalties than the second closest team. And if you go back to week one, 18 penalties. So what we learned last night is what we've known about the Browns. They're an undisciplined team. And Freddie that's Kitchens, right. that's going to fall on you. It is. They're a, they're, I mean, they lead the league in dumb. Yep. When you look at the kinds of penalties they have, and we're talking about week after week after week, and I don't know that I want to connect them to sort of a rogue act by Miles Garrett, but what we do know is there's a tolerance for stupid in that Cleveland football culture, and so who knows where it sort of leaks out. But no, Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh's got a shot. First of all, they absolutely had better be seven and five. I expect yes. them to dismantle the Browns in two weeks after <laughs> they take care of the Bengals. A couple of things from the Browns. Though. Nick Chubb, 92 yards is important. And Baker Mayfield, who, by the way, handled himself very well after the game. No interceptions, but they got to start getting that offense going. The offense just hasn't been good enough. And they got to get Odell Beckham involved at some point. He's just too talented, not involved enough in the offense. The return of Carmelo Anthony to the NBA isn't as dramatic as the return of Colin Kaepernick would be to the NFL. But the 10-time All-Star and four-time Olympian hasn't played in the league in a year. And it did raise some eyebrows when it was reported that Melo will sign with the Trailblazers. Portland unquestionably is in need of a forward who can score and preferably do so by stretching the defense. Frank, he's one of your faves. I know that. 
What kind of player does he need to be in Portland to make this move work? Yeah, it's going to be tough, Michael. The last time Carmelo Anthony played an NBA game was November 8th. You don't get better by not playing. I don't care how many videos he, you know, he sends out of the workouts that he's doing. That doesn't matter. He has not played an NBA game in over a year. But Portland is in need. You know, Zach Collins is hurt, done for the season. They made a couple of trades. They need forwards. Right now, their forwards score about 36 a game. That's 27th in the league. It's a guard-dominant team with T.J. McCollum, obviously Damian Lillard. But Portland is struggling. They're in a place right now. Michael, they're 1-4 and four at home. This is a team that was in the conference finals last year. I think they're desperate. They need to, Carmelo to come off the bench and give them some kind of score. Yeah, they, you can't count the Warriors because of the injuries. And so, therefore, yeah. Portland's probably been the disappointment in the West so far. And it's early. I like this move for a lot of reasons, Frank. One, it's early. Yeah. And they made the move. They, they're not in denial. They're saying, okay, we, we got a problem here. You, you specified what that problem is. Our friend Charles Barkley had said sometime about a week or so ago that he thought Kevin Love would be a great fit. Yeah. Kevin Love is from That's Oregon. Right. But they'd have to give up something to get something of value. To, to, to get yes. Kevin Love. Carmelo brings a lot of that same stuff, okay? I don't, I know. The question is what percentage? What are we talking about from Carmelo now? Can he give them 14, 15 points, somewhere between 12 and 15 points a game? Got to and defend can he as well. Do it with the jump shooting that we had seen a couple of years ago? Or is it going to be he still has to just play without the ball while the guards have it in their hands and he can't find his rhythm, I'm wondering. You know, a couple of months ago, I saw him up at the Hall of Fame. He was receiving a community service award. He looks great. He's in great shape, probably the best shape he's been in a long time. But he's been humbled as well. And Carmelo yeah. wanted this opportunity. He wanted one more chance. So Carmelo is going to do everything he can. I'm just worried about him works. also on a defensive end. That's, that's I want be this to work, Frank. I'd love to see it be a great story. Absolutely. Well, if Carmelo is still with Portland on New Year's Day, he'll receive a warm greeting when the Blazers visit Madison Square Garden. Warm and fuzzy, however, isn't how Chris Tapperzingis felt Thursday when he returned to MSG for the first time since last January's infamous trade. The scene, Michael, was rather hostile and nasty. So, Michael, were Nick fans, they were out for blood last night. From start to finish, do you feel like they were a little too tough on Chris Dapperzingis? I don't know. I mean, Knicks fans, I mean, please. I mean, you know, they are so <laughs> impressed with themselves and their savvy. It's the Mecca, Michael. They haven't witnessed any good home <laughs> basketball for like 30 years, but just keep keep telling everybody how smart and great you are as fans. You know what they're doing? They're screaming at Porzingis while they have their camera phones yeah. taking pictures of him. To do what? It's also phony. It's just, I mean, it was just, you, I get, I'm sick of them. I knew, you know, I didn't know which way their act was going to go last night. Did they all text each other and say boo before <laughs> the game like a college situation? You know, I, I wish Porzingis had just torch them and maybe he will in the future but 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 my my obsession with them being tired of Knicks fans dominates my sentiment about this story well you know Michael they were chanting traitor and things like that and a friend of this program Brian Windhorst had written a story that before the trade was made the Knicks were talking to the Dallas Mavericks about the framework for a Przingis trade they basically had alienated Chris Przingis they didn't want him and then when they called him in for that meeting they said to him you really don't want to be here anymore do you and he said no not really they spun the story he doesn't want to be here. He left us, and the fans are buying it. Yet you want to blame Chris Tapperzingis for the last 20 years at Madison Square Garden? Go right ahead. Because when he skipped that meeting with Phil Jackson, my point. his big thing was, I don't like the direction of this franchise. Guess what? He was on to something. So boo him all you want. I always say, you want to cheer, you want to boo, go right ahead. 
But it yeah. was misguided last night. That was a concerted effort, and it was just lame and self-absorbed. You know, I, it just it's gonna it make it easier for me to root yeah. against the Knicks. Give the, the Knicks the credit year. though, and David Fizdale, they actually played very well. The they team did a good played job well. last they night did. doing that. Let's take a break. But coming up, could Auburn bump Georgia from the playoffs tomorrow? We'll ask Marcus Spears. We'll also ask him what would happen if his team, LSU and Alabama, were to meet up again. One more time, a rematch. I don't think the I interruption is brought to you by 20th Century Fox's new movie, Ford vs. Ferrari, now playing in theaters everywhere. We've got another intriguing weekend of college football ahead, and to help us analyze it is our friend from the SEC Network, ESPN football analyst Marcus Spears. Now, this purple I'm wearing is for Northwestern, not LSU. <laughs> but it, 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 could, it could have been just for having Marcus on the show. We appreciate you. Listen, before we get started with our college football conversation, you played nine seasons as a defensive lineman in the NFL. What did you make of the Miles Garrett Mason Rudolph situation last night? Mike, thanks for having me, first of all. Man, it was tough because, you know, at one hand, you know how heated and emotional guys get during the course of a football game, and then you break away from the game. I think any time we have to have a conversation of things involving something beyond the game, it's bad, especially in that instance. And the fact that Miles Garrett took that helmet and swung at Mason Rudolph like that it kind of pushed everything that transpired outside of that into a corner, even though that was bad as well. And we focused on that because that is beyond the football field. That's the situation where Mason Rudolph could have been put to sleep. He could have been in a coma. I mean, it's, it's just like if we, if we in a bar and we having a fist fight and somebody pulls out a hammer and hits you across the head, the whole conversation changes at that point. It's not just, it's no longer just a fight. Now we've entered into court. We've entered into a guy possibly talking about attempted murder, assault, and all of those things. And anytime that's attached to the game of football, especially within the parameters of a game, we're in a very dark place, man. Well, listen, we'll, we'll, we'll move into a better place now and talk about college <laughs> yep. football. We'll start with the, the, the reason that you're where you are now, LSU Ole Miss. We saw how amped you were by LSU's win over Alabama. What would you, Marcus, tell your team this week to make sure they were grounded again and ready to play a new opponent? Absolutely. Handle success, right? I think when you, when you measure coaches, um, when you talk about the great ones, they always keep an even kill, but it's at a championship level. And I think for Ed Ogeron, this will be his greatest swan song right here. Like, how did LSU respond after they got something done that hadn't been done in eight years? How will this team re react? And then from a football standpoint, Mike, when you think about how they start, right, are they still hungover from last week win against Alabama? I don't think this team is. Ed O has a clear message to this team. Every week be 1-0. And I'm sure the players who I have contact with and I'll talk to uh, a lot of times throughout the week, they understand what's, what's, what's in front of them. And then the guy that's leading them in Joe Burrow is, he's almost playing with a, with a vengeance. 
uh, to put everybody on notice, not like this is who we really are. This is not a facade. This is not something that I'll be a one hit wonder in. This team is in a position right now where they want to show everybody that this is who they are for the remainder of the season. And the goal was to win a national championship, not just to beat Alabama. All right, Marcus, number four, Georgia at number 12, Auburn. A couple of years ago, Georgia's the top-ranked team in the country. They go into Auburn. They lose to a two-loss Tiger team. How does this one set up for Georgia? Listen, Georgia has to be very, very careful in this football game. Auburn is a two-loss team, but they are they could absolutely make an argument uh, to be a top-ten team by the way that they play. They have a young quarterback who's still getting his feet wet trying to learn. If they had a better offense, we would be having a conversation about Auburn, quite frankly, being in the top six with an opportunity to be in the playoffs. So Georgia has to be very careful of that. And it's good on good. Like, I'm a big physical guy. I play D-line. I love to see big offensive linemen go against big defensive linemen. And right now, these are the two highest-rated fronts in college football that gets the square off. Georgia has to be very uh, leery of making sure that they respect Auburn. People need to remember, Alabama gave up 46 points to LSU. Auburn gave up 23. Just let that sink in for a second. So this is not a team that Georgia is about to play that doesn't understand not only big games, but know that they can compete against the so-called top teams in the country. All right, we'll look outside the SEC for a second and get to number 10 Oklahoma and number 13, Baylor. Marcus, are you a believer in Baylor? They're still undefeated, and they're going to be undefeated after this game. Mike, no, and I hate to say it because Uh-oh. you have to respect. <laughs> you have to respect when teams are undefeated, but I, I liken this to Wisconsin a couple years ago. You remember when you guys remember when Wisconsin was uh, undefeated, yep. they were playing well, and they got to that one game where we all assumed the tide would turn, and it did. So I guess Baylor right now is just on watch for the entire season. Everybody expects Oklahoma to go take care of business. Didn't foresee them losing to Kansas State. But right now, Baylor being undefeated, I think it's a little bit of fool's goal for everybody out there in the college landscape. You know, maybe you haven't heard this, but uh, Wilbon is a Northwestern man. But he's also a Minnesota guy. How sure are we last week. that the I Gophers are going to beat number 20 Iowa this weekend? Um, Sorry, Mike. Not very sure. <laughs> <laughs> and, and look, the performance, the performance they put together against Penn State was great. I believe in their coach. I don't think this is a fluke. I just don't think it, if they can keep that level of play throughout the duration of the season. And already Minnesota has had some struggles winning some close games earlier this season. So it gives you pause. It's like almost this degree of separation in college football where we see what dominant teams look like. And then we see undefeated teams and we say to ourselves, uh, maybe they they are just a, a byproduct of who they played or they hit a little string of luck. The Penn State game was a huge win for me. I give them respect for that. But in order to be in this conversation long haul, can you continue to do that? We'll see if Lake and the boys can. Marcus, thank you. Thank you for joining us. By the way, I got Iowa beating Minnesota. Oh. I'm just saying. I want the Gophers to win. my conference. I, I got to pay attention to this conference. <laughs> SEC Nation from Oxford, Mississippi airs at 10 a.m. tomorrow morning on the SEC Network. Let's take one last break, but still to come. Tom Brady is reportedly aiming to play even beyond 
45. And Trey Young provides even more evidence that Wilbon was wrong about him. Admit it, you were wrong. I say it every day. This is not new. Every day. And he day. loves this show. He talks about you all the time. Be then nice he should to the know guy. I got a big plate of crow in front of me when it comes to Trey. <laughs> time to get happy, people. Happy 24th birthday, Carl Anthony Towns. Seems like Towns has been in the league forever. And this is his fifth season, but he's only been in the playoffs once, and that was Jimmy Butler's team. So even though Towns is twice an all-star, he and Andrew Wiggins have really got to pick it up if they're going to make a dent in the playoffs when it counts, May and June. But the T-Wolves are off to a surprisingly good start at 7-4, and four, Frank. And they get the Wizards tonight. By the way, my family was invited and attended Carl Anthony Towns' 16th birthday. How about that? True story, about, Michael. That's pretty very See? cool. I didn't go. Happy anniversary, Cam Newton, on this day four years ago. You broke into an extended dab dance, much to the chagrin of several Titans defenders. <laughs> that was Carolina's Super Bowl year in Cam's MVP season when he led the Panthers to a 15-1 and record. Since Carolina appears ready to move on from Cam now, he seems amenable to a deal for the Bears, who've had somebody of his skills level at that position exactly once in about the last 50 years. I think if he's healthy, about six teams are going to want him. You want him in Chicago? I'd like him if he's healthy. Absolutely. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Happy trails to a little bit of Ricky Rubio's dignity. He got the Will Barton treatment from Trey Young, who seems to want to specialize in humiliating Olay. everybody. Being as old school as I am, I'm wondering where my dear friend Rick Mahorn <laughs> is. We need him for a clothesline. And Ru- you youngsters should go and Google Mr. <laughs> Mahorn. Rubio's doing a nice job so far in Phoenix, including beating Trey Young last night. Yeah, how about the job our buddy Monty Williams is doing in Phoenix? Monty Williams. Outstanding. Absolutely. Terrific cook. Former Nick. We're running out of show. No errors today. Let's go to the finish. Matthew Stafford out against the Cowboys. Is that significant, Frank? That's going to be very significant. They need him to win. Paul George scored, uh, scored 33 points in his debut. Called it terrible. What do you call it, Michael? He'll get better, particularly defensively. I like the fact that he's holding himself to that standard. He'll be fine. Mike Trout and Cody Bellinger score home the MVP awards. Are they the right choices? Uh, Bellinger, yes. But how about Trout? He didn't play the final 22 games of the season. Still got the MVP. Alex Guerrero told the Greg Hill Show that Tom Brady believes he can play until he's 46 or 47. Your thoughts? Enough. Enough with the projections on the, 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 the octogenarian Tom Brady. Just appreciate him for what he's doing now. Last one, Deshaun Watson at Lamar Jackson Sunday. Frank, who you got? Oh, Lamar's been great. I'm calling out an upset. Deshaun Watson, the Texans. We're out of time. Thanks for watching. I'm Frank Isola. And I'm Mike Wilbon. Have a great weekend, knuckleheads. You can get the PTI podcast on the ESPN app or Apple Podcasts.